Wow, wasn't that brilliant? Thank you so much, Youth Band. Well, welcome to church today. Again, if you're in the building or online, we are carrying on this generous campaign. If you don't know who I am, my name is Mike. I'm also on the pastors here, and it's my privilege to bring you part two of Generous. And wasn't it just a fantastic message last week from Roy Turner on encouragement? And I think it just so embodies some kingdom characteristics that we are constantly calling out the best in each other. I believe we belong to a world that I think more often than not pulls out the worst in us, tells us where we're going wrong and what we're doing wrong. But kingdom characteristics, Jesus would be calling out the best in us. And I want to continue that similar theme today. But rather than look at an encouragement, I want to look at something slightly different. And I want to look at servanthood. Now, before you switch off, if you're online, unfortunately, you can't escape if you're in the building. Servanthood isn't a very sexy thing to talk about. It's not like sexy theology, isn't it? Actually, it sounds quite dull. But I believe servanthood, as I'm talking about kingdom characteristics, is right up there with some of the most important things that we can do. And I'm not just talking about joining a team in church, although that would be really helpful. Ian, our operations manager, will be waiting if you want to join the welcome team at the end of the service because we are running short. I'm talking about seeing places to serve throughout all of our life at home, in our friendship groups, in our school, in our colleges, not just with people we love, even people we might not even get along with. But I wonder if you were to ask a friend or a family member who doesn't follow Jesus, is what would be the one thing that comes to mind when you say Christianity? Would servanthood be in the top five or even the top ten? Because actually, when I ask my friends what people think of Christianity, what's the first word that comes to their mind? Usually, the first one is judgmental. Usually, it's stuck up. But actually, when we look at Scripture, when we look at Jesus' teaching, servanthood is right up there. And as we were planning our campaigns for the year, as I was thinking about generous, there was one verse that came to mind, which I think overarches all of our campaign. It will be completely relevant to Roy's message last week, absolutely relevant to my message this week, and relevant to the message to come. Look at this in John 13. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give to you. See, it's not just advice, it's a command. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, the bit that gets me in that quote is Jesus saying, as I have loved you. You see, Jesus didn't just love them with you know, nice gifts at Christmas time. He didn't just love them with nice gifts on their birthdays. He loved them by washing their feet. Jesus got down and dirty when he served. And I believe we can take some things out of a character I want to look at today that we can employ in our everyday life. I think it's really, really important when we listen to preaching, when we listen to teaching, it's not just to tickle our ears for 20 or 30 minutes on a Sunday. It's so we can pull something out of it. We can pull something out of the Word of God that we can employ in our everyday lives, Monday through Sunday, not just for an hour and a half on a Sunday. So if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to turn with me to Genesis 24. And I want to look at a character called Rebecca, who you may or may not be familiar with. And I'm going to read about six verses. But there's some amazing characteristics that this young woman, who the Bible tells us was, was very young, she, she was unassuming, but she displays some things that I believe are so poignant and important that if we could just get a hold of and start employing in our everyday lives, maybe the language of our friends and family members who would say Christians are judgmental will begin to change. Is that Okay. Fantastic. Right, let's go to Genesis 24, 
verses 12 to 18. And let me just set a little bit of context for you. Abraham, who is considered the father of the Christian faith, has got a son called Isaac. Now, Abraham is a little bit picky because he wants his son to marry someone really, really specific. He's looked around his hometown where he's, where he's currently residing and there's no one who meets the criteria and the expectation that Abraham wants for his son Isaac. So he calls his servant to come in, a man called Eliezer, who has been with Abraham for many, many years. And he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the place where my family has settled in a place called Paradise. Paran Haram, and I want you to find a young woman from my own relatives. It's a little bit weird, but from my own relatives to marry my son Isaac. You'll find out later. It's a distant cousin, so it was all cushy and cool. But I want you to find this this woman. Uh, I don't know who she is. God hasn't given me a name, but I am sure that she is where my relatives are currently residing. So I don't care how you do it. I don't care what the plan is, how you come up with it. Just find someone you know me really well who would meet my my expectations, who would be able to pass in a blind date with my son. You know, Eleazar, the sort of thing I am looking for. So Eleazar says, okay, he gets a retinue together. He gets probably six or seven different servants. He gets 10 camels and he loads the camels up with precious treasures and gift for this woman who is not sure who she is yet. And this is where we pick up the story. He's traveled 500 miles and he finally rocks up to Paran Haram. And he says, then he prayed, he's got into the place, he finds a well. Then he prayed next to the well, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to me and my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. And may it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Now let's just pause right there. I think if a woman had been sent to find a bride, she probably would have found a little bit more of an intricate plan to find a beautiful young bride for Isaac. This shows you that God works through stupid people namely men, okay? So we go to verse 15. Before he had finished praying, I love how quickly God answers this prayer. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. And the woman was very beautiful, a virgin who no man had ever slept with. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came up again. And the servant hurried to meet her. Some translation said he ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she says. And quickly she lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. Let's just pause there. Now, straight away, as I said, this is a pretty ridiculous test to find a wife for Isaac, but it seems to work. As Eliezer is praying, literally in the instance as he's saying amen, he sees Rebecca and he thinks, I'm going to chance my arm. Lord, work through this silly test of mine, this, this camel test where she comes and gives me and my camels a drink. And Rebecca instantly says she quickly lowered her jar. She didn't think, she didn't stop to consider, she quickly obliged. And what fascinates me about this is actually it would have been really, really weird, firstly for a man to be at the well, but secondly to approach a woman. And Rebecca doesn't even take a moment, as I've said, to consider or think about what's being asked of her. And 
Eliezer, although he's a servant, he's a high servant. So I need to give you a little bit of a picture of what's happening here. Remember, there's 10 camels loaded with loads of treasure, loaded with loads of gold and gifts and money. Eliezer would not have been traveling by himself. Although he was a servant, he definitely would have probably six or seven underling servants beneath him. Eliezer was the top guy in Abraham's house. He probably wouldn't have even looked like a servant himself, but he had this whole group of people around him. Now, can you imagine if there's a group of seven or eight men loitering at a well and you were slogging your guts out, getting water for yourself and he's lazing there on a camp chair and says, excuse me, can you give me some water? What would your first reaction be? For me, I would have think he's probably a little bit mentally unstable and he needs to get off his backside and go and sort himself out. I perhaps would have had the mentality that I'm going to back away from this because someone else can do that. Someone else can do it. Maybe there is an issue, but I'm busy, I'm doing my own thing, I'm getting water for my own household, and households at that time weren't small. Probably could have been 15 to 20 people living with Rebecca. But she goes through the effort of going down to the well, coming up with this massive jar of water on her shoulder, and she stops in her tracks, lets it down, and offers Eliezer a drink, even though the six or seven of guys there are probably doing absolutely nothing. Someone else can do that. I'm on a mission. And as I read this, I thought, I wonder how many times that the need has been presented to me. Someone has asked me something, or I've seen something, and I've passed it, and thought, oh, it doesn't matter, someone else can do it. And I have been robbed of my blessing. You see, Rebecca didn't know what's going on. Eliezer didn't divulge his plan of what's about to happen. She just saw a lazy man asking for something from her who was clearly busy. And in my old church, my my pastor, Pastor Jason, he used to have this test. And to look for leaders, he wouldn't look at how well they could speak. He wouldn't look at how confident they are in groups of people. What he would do, he would get a piece of paper. Sorry, and I'm just going to borrow your seating plan here. He would get a piece of paper before the service and he would just chuck it right in front of the auditorium doors where we were about to go in for church. And as the doors were open, the welcome team were welcome people in, he would stand back, he would stand behind a door, a little bit of a creep, okay, stand behind the door, peeping and watching. And he would watch 10 people, 20 people, 30 people just walk over the rubbish. But every now and again, someone would stop, pick up the rubbish, take it over to a bin and put it in. And that was his test to find leaders. You see, leaders need to be people who serve. And people who serve instantly, I think, have, have a, a notch or a, or a neck forward on spiritual leadership. The pastor before that in my home church used to say this famous quote you may have heard before. If you are too big to serve, you are too small to lead. Why do we say that in church? Well, actually, because we're called to be like Jesus, aren't we? And we see time and time again, Jesus busy on mission, okay, and pretty serious mission, declaring the kingdom of God to the people of Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and beyond. And oftentimes, crowds would flock around him all with needs. And time and time again, we see in scripture, it says this, Jesus stopped and had compassion on them. Jesus always had important missions, but he never failed to stop and meet a need. And I want to tell you, church, when you are going out into your daily lives, I'm not just talking about serving in church here. That's really, really important to know. I'm talking about when you go in your workplaces, your family, your schools, your colleges. Remember this, having a next person mentality, meaning someone else will do it, could potentially be your blessings fatality. A next person mentality could potentially be your blessings fatality. 
And I think we need to be really careful here because I'm not just saying when you serve, you're going to get blessed. But I am saying that when you understand what Jesus has done for you and those around you, your only position and poise is to bless. You see, it's not that I have to do something. When you know Jesus and what he has done for you, you get to do some things. We don't give to get, we get to give. Jesus, of course, we know John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world, not because God had to, for he so loved the world that he came and gave his only begotten son. I want to really implore you this week to look for opportunities where you can meet a need and serve. Because serving isn't just about blessing those who are receiving, it also massively blesses you as well. And I believe going to the inconvenience of serving someone will actually grow something in you that you will not be able to take for granted. When you serve someone without getting anything, I believe, as I've said, it conforms you into the likeness of Jesus himself. And in church, I think it's really difficult because we live in a culture that tells us to serve ourselves. You see, 15 minutes of fame is held up as far more valuable as a lifetime of faithfulness. Frederick Nietzsche, famous philosopher, uh, most famously actually an atheist, he said this phrase that was coined by theologian Eugene Peterson. He said, we need to have a long obedience in one direction. And Eugene Peterson, the theologian, took this quote, he wrote a whole book about it, and he said, this is the essence of the Christian life, is that we have one long obedience in one direction. So Rebecca's walking, she's sweating, she's huffing and puffing, taking her own water, she stops and she meets the needs. She could have just said, well, don't worry about it, very politely, but I'm really busy at the minute, maybe someone else will come along and help you. Another thing she could have done, I think, is said, well, actually, do you know who I am? She could have been too big to serve. Remember, Rebecca is part of Abraham's family. Although she didn't know Eleazar was Abraham's servant, she would have been a woman of means. She wasn't just a common servant girl. She would have had respect in her town and probably would have been very well known in the local area. But she didn't see herself as too big to serve. And again, as we're talking about culture, I think even here in the West, it's far more prominent in other countries, I'm sure. But we, I think, think we get too, certain, uh, we, we, we get too good for things. There's certain things we won't do because we're busy doing our gift or talent. We won't pick up the rubbish or we won't go and fill the water jar because actually I'm a worship leader or I'm a preacher in church, so I'm not going to go and serve on the door. And, and this mentality, I, I get where it comes from. And 12 years now in full-time vocational ministry as a pastor, I've seen this happen a few times, not in this church, I'll just put that out there. But when people come to church for the first time and they come and grab a pastor after the service and say, I just want you to know um, I'm a worship leader and I'm going to join the worship team, I would love to lead this church in worship. Or, Pastor, can I just grab you a minute? I believe God's anointed me and gifted me to preach, so I would love to preach at your church. Now, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that, there's... Nothing wrong with that at all. We absolutely love confidence. We love knowing where you want to serve. We love knowing what you're gifted in. But here's the test. When there is an immediate need in the spotlight, I wonder if you are be willing to serve in the twilight. When there's not an immediate need in the spotlight, would you be willing to serve in the twilight? Again, another test of Jason's. Picked up a lot from Jason after the rubbish test, okay? If you're a worship leader, fantastic. We would love to get you on team. There's a little bit of a process we go through, six months, auditions and gelling with the team, etc., etc. They say, right, that's fine. But actually, we are really, really short of worship leaders in our kids' church. 
And are you free next week because our kids, particularly our five to eight-year-olds, they would love some worship live. Can you commit to coming for the next two months, once a month, to come and lead our kids in worship? Let me tell you, not many people say yes. Well, I'm called to preach. Well, fantastic. Our elderly ministry, Diamond Airs, are desperate for preachers. Would you come midweek for our 80s and 90s, 90-year-olds? There's about 15 of them and bring a word to them. Oh, well, well, actually, I can't do that. Well, can you do it on Sunday morning because we have a seniors meeting Sunday morning at 9 a.m.? No, no, I can't do that. When there's not a need in the spotlight, please, church, serve in the twilight. Again, I'm using the context of church there, but I'm talking about outside as well. Maybe it's a business presentation. Well, I will only give the presentation. I won't support my colleague who really could do with my help who is giving the presentation. Maybe it's at school. It's tutoring the people who are, who are really struggling in a subject that you are flying in. Are you going to take the time in the twilight or are you just interested in the spotlight? This is what I absolutely love about Rebecca. She wasn't too big to serve. She demonstrates something that we see Jesus hundreds of years later demonstrate. We need to remember we are called to be countercultural. We are called to be completely different from the world. We are called to not conform to the ways of this world, Romans 12, 1 to 2 tells us, but change at the way we act and think and do through the kingdom of God into the likeness of Jesus. I want to tell you, church, we need to live countercultural. If we want to stand up and make our name known in the world for the kingdom of God, we need to not conform to what everyone else is doing. We need to shun the 15 minutes of fame for the lifetime of faithfulness. We need to be acting and serving and loving with no motive. That's how you know when service is genuine. There's no motive there at all. And I'm working with a small group at the minute in LCF. And we're looking at the journey of discipleship here at church. We're looking how we can make sure all of our church people are growing. And you're going to hear some really, really exciting things about that in the coming months. And the tagline we've just picked up in our discussions is this, see and serve. We want that to be embedded in our DNA, where our people of LCF see a need and they meet it and serve. Again, not just in church, but out of church as well. We want to see and serve, not be uh, serving to see. And what Rebecca didn't do, as she was giving Eleazar a drink and she was going on and taking a moment just to bless him, she didn't get her iPhone out and begin filming. She didn't say, oh, Hi to all my million followers on TikTok. Just by the way, I'm, a, I'm going viral now, Eliezer. Just seen this poor guy, a little bit lazy. I think there's seven or eight people, but I'm just going to give him a drink. How many times have you seen that on social media? Uh, the, the, the Urban Dictionary calls it the humble brag. You're doing something really, really humble, but you're making sure everybody knows about it. Completely cultural, because there's a lot of people in our culture who serve, but they do it to be seen. They do it because it makes them look better. It's, a, it's an inverted way of raising profile. Rebecca doesn't do that at all. There's no one watching. There's no hidden cameras. There's no iPhone. There's not even Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. There's no platform where she's going to get any recognition for this. She simply wants to serve. And I just love that about Rebecca. I wonder what would happen, church, if we could start to get some of these spirits uh, of Rebecca in our life, this service spirit. And only... Not only does she stop and give Eliezer, I love how the Bible says it. He says he asked for a little drink. He doesn't ask for the jar. He just asks for a little drink. The camel test that he has birthed is completely unknown to her. A little drink. What we see with Rebecca, though, she goes absolutely above and beyond. Again, isn't this just like Jesus? 
above and beyond. He doesn't just meet a need. He exceeds a need. Time and time again, we see people go to Jesus and they always leave more than what they came for. They leave with more than what they came for. They leave more blessed. They leave more healed. They leave more whole. And Rebecca is demonstrating this hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus came. And it isn't interesting to know that Rebecca was actually in the lineage of Jesus himself. We see this demonstrated. didn't know it at the time. Look at this, verse 17. I'm going to rewind two verses and I'm going to add a few extra verses. Please give me a little drink, Eliezer said, of water from your jug. Yes, my Lord. Again, not too big to serve. She even addresses a servant with the title of honour. She calls him my Lord. Have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So again, she quickly emptied her jar into the trough ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all his camels. Now that's a nice thing to do, isn't it? And you might be feeling a little bit underwhelmed at that, as I did on my first reading. But as I've said to you constantly before in my preaching, if you dig a little bit in Scripture, you will be wowed at the context and the detail that is there. You see, she didn't just give Eleazar a little drink. She gave the camels enough to drink till they had their full. And camels, obviously, when you think of beautiful young women, camels aren't really the first thing that come to mind because camels are disgusting, okay? They stink, they spit, they make all sorts of bodily noises that aren't pleasant. The only time you'll see a camel near a young, beautiful woman is on an Instagram post when a rich, famous young woman is in Dubai, okay? But look at this, a little bit of context. Camels are famous for their ability to travel as many as 100 miles without water because they retain their body moisture efficiently, but they do not function without water. In fact, a thirsty camel can drink as many as 30 gallons of water in just 13 minutes. Now, as I said right at the beginning, this is a 500-mile journey from uh, Haran to Hebron, okay? And it's over rough terrain. It's not like through the streets of Luton where there's a Starbucks on every corner that could stop and get a, a water break, okay? It's through tough, dry, hot terrain. So I don't think it's far to believe that the camels were probably thirsty when they rocked up to the well. How tantalising it would have been for the camels sitting next to a well and the servants and Eliezer is not letting them drink. 30 gallons of water each. Now let me break that down for you. I'm not really good with metrics and I'm definitely not good with numbers. But I know 30 gallons of water times 10 camels is 300 gallons. That's 1,364 litres, or as I said, I'm not very good at maths, but I love Pepsi Max. That's 682 bottles of Pepsi Max. Now, we know Rebecca's a very beautiful young woman. I don't know what constitutes as beautiful back in ancient Israelite thousands of years ago, but this woman is looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm telling you. She is hench. Okay, 682 bottles of water. That's 178 stone or 1,135 kilograms. That's even more than Paul Bailey can bench press. It is a lot of water It is very, very heavy. But let's push this a little bit deeper because it says she goes to the well, she brings that up. Okay, that's that's hard work. When we think of a well, we think of that little spindly thing, don't we, with a rope and we wind it down and we wind it back up. But that is not the sort of well or the spring that Rebecca is at. Notice in verse 16, it says that she went down to the spring and then came back up again. 
You see, where they are in the Middle East, this is what wells more often look like. They were dug right down deep, and there's usually about 50 steps literally carved into the wall. This was before health and safety, okay? These steps were rickety, they were dangerous, they were uneven. So let's be very, very generous to Rebecca. Let's pretend she is bench pressing three, 400 kilograms of bench press. Let's say that she can take 22 and a half litres, that's approximately 11 Pepsi Maxis per journey. And that's, that's, that's tough going. When I go to Tesco in a basket, I can manage probably three or four. Uh, I'm betting Rebecca's probably a bit stronger than me. So that is 11 Pepsi Maxis per journey. That's 60 journeys carrying 178 stone of water up 50 rough-hewn concrete steps. That is some journey. See, when we read that without the context, we can be reading this and seeing the story of Rebecca and we can think, well, that was nice of her to do. It was a five-minute job. This would have taken her hours. Remember, she was getting water for herself and her family. She was on a mission. She was, she, she was going, she was doing, she had a purpose, but she was interrupted by a complete stranger, not even someone she knew or loved, a complete stranger, and she wants to bless him and serve him. And I bet this journey... Down and up a while, down and up a while would have taken two or three hours. And what's Eliezer doing as she's doing this? Well, I'm going to tell you in a minute because this is the thing that baffles me. But I just want to pause for just a moment. Next person mentality. Too big to serve. Inconvenient serving takes us hours. I wonder what would happen. Just imagine for a second. If every Christian alive on the earth today, that's a third of the whole earth's population, had the mentality that Rebecca shows and demonstrates in these few verses. Go back to that question at the beginning. What do people say about Christians? What's the first word that comes to mind when you say Christian to your non-Christian friend, family member? I wonder if everyone demonstrated, forget the worship and the preaching, if everyone just demonstrated some of the qualities that Rebecca has shown here. What will Christianity be known for? I bet it will be known as much more attractive than it's known today. Jesus told us, didn't he, as we said right at the beginning, be known by your love for one another. That actually became prophetic in the second century AD. There's a man called Tertullian who lived in Carthage, which is in northern Africa. He was one of the first early church fathers. And he wrote a really compact and concise history and theology from the second century. And there's a little paragraph tucked away that I just love. He said, the pagans know us, not because of what we teach or preach, but they know us because of how we love, even to the extent of laying down our lives for one another. The the emperors of the time, the Roman emperors, they're they're recorded as saying, we just don't understand these Christians. We want to suppress them and we we want to keep them down. They're they're, they're taking the, the empire by force, but they're not doing it with swords and bows and arrows and ships and warfare. They're doing it with love. And there's a sense of me that just gets so sad about that because, of course, the church is absolutely operational in in those fields today. Most of our food banks, most of our educational systems were set up by Christians. All the good stuff that happens through churches. But we don't hear about that in the press, do we? We hear about all the negative stuff. I pray that we can be known once again for how much we love. I pray when people hear the word LCF in Luton, and I'm sure to an extent they do, But I pray when they hear LCF, they won't go, oh, what's that or where's that? They'll go, oh, those people who just love people. Those people who just serve. Those people who just give without wanting to get 
Anyway, let's come back in the room. Let's go come back from that reflection. So Rebecca's going 60 trips down 50 steps with 1,365 litres of Pepsi, 178 stone uh, of water, not Pepsi. If only it was Pepsi, I'm sure she wouldn't have had to do many trips. But let's go to Genesis 24, 21. Pick up the story where we left it off. She is sweating. Her biceps are aching. Her neck is cricked. Remember, she's carrying this thing on her neck, this water jug. She is absolutely blowing. And this is what Genesis 24, 21 says. As she looks over, she's done 10 trips, 15 trips, 20 trips, 24 trips, 26 trips, 30 trips. Without saying a word... Eleazar, the man, watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Now, I'm not saying Rebecca was getting angry, but if this was me, I'd be getting angry. And I'm sure you, like me, have been in moments and in times, I can remember an instance in my home church back in Birmingham where we were asked to clear the chairs. That's like number one job in church is to clear the chairs for an event. And of course, I'm wanting to serve, I want to honour my pastor and on the leadership who have asked us to do this. And four or five of us out of a church of 700 stick behind, start putting the chairs around, but uh, put the chairs away. But out of the four or five of us, there's three people who just sit and start chatting at the back of the church. And I'm like Rebecca at this point, okay, I'm blowing, I'm gassed, I'm sweating, I'm red, I'm wearing my Sunday best as well, so I'm just sweating for everything, stacking these blooming church, uh, chairs. Do you know in church, there's never any air con, it's always ridiculously hot in the summer. Stacking the chairs, stacking the chairs. And I am looking at these people and I'm getting infuriated. There was a spirit in me and let me tell you, it wasn't the holy one. I was getting absolutely livid. And I'm going to be honest here, we're in church, I can't lie. There was a moment where I thought about possibly tipping the chairs behind them onto them as I was walking past them. God, I'm sure, forgave me for that. But I was just getting so angry and so mad. And I felt a real check in my spirit on the drive home, just saying, what were you stacking the chairs for? Were you stacking the chairs for me? This is God speaking, I think. You're stacking the the chairs to serve, or were you stacking the chairs to look good? And I didn't go as far as to put it on Instagram, although I probably did think about it as I'm stacking the chairs. But I'm sure Rebecca would have had a little bit of this. I, I think she would have been huffing and puffing, sweating, giving furtive glances over to the six or seven men who were literally just sat there. And she was asking herself, what on earth are they doing? They are taking the mick. I just want to throw it out there. If Rebecca had got to the 59th of the 60th trip, if, that how, if that's how many it was, if she had got to the 59th trip and packed it in and said, well, um, the camels have had enough now, that, that they were still drinking, they've had enough now, they've had a bit and, and stormed off, I wonder if she would have been as blessed as she ended up being blessed, blessed. I wonder how it would have turned out. I wonder actually if we would ever even hear of who Rebecca was if she had given up on the 50th trip, the 52nd trip. You see, with a little bit of context, what Rebecca didn't know is Eleazar and the servants doing nothing were actually completely in the will of God and doing their service. It was their service to not touch anything, to help. And I want to say to you, church, when you are slogging your guts out or whatever it is, when you are serving out of church, in church, and you are looking around and your colleagues again on a fag break or a tea break or a coffee break, and you're vacuuming and you're sweating and you're just feeling that anger building up in you, I want you to ask yourself and remember what would Rebecca be doing on the 52nd trip, the 53rd trip, the 54th trip? Because I believe Rebecca kept her focus completely on her task. She wasn't distracted to the left or the right behind her. She kept her eyes on the prize and the goal of what I believe God had put within her. It was her destiny to serve and her destiny actually paid off. You see, the doorway of service opened up huge blessing that she didn't even know about. 
Look at this from Jesus in Matthew 6. The context is, is giving to the needy, but I don't think it's a stretch to say giving is serving. I'm not just talking about financially, I'm talking about eight. He says, but when you give to the needy, and we could even replace that with when you give or serve anyone, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't worry about what anyone else is thinking, even yourself. Just do what you're called to do so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And that would have been absolutely fine to say that. But what I love is that Jesus demonstrated this himself. As I said, he washed feet. He went to the back end of nowhere and served people. And we see in these early encounters when he's doing these amazing miracles, before there's thousands of people following him and flocking over him everywhere, he would heal people and he would say to them, just go away, but don't tell them that I have done this for you. He kept himself humble. It would have been really easy to remember Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. I'm sure there would have been some temptation in there somewhere. Make sure you go to The Sun, the Daily Mail. Make sure you go on Facebook. Hashtag Jesus is in town, okay? He didn't do that. He said, just go away. Just, I want to bless you. Just go. Just go. And church, I want to really challenge you this week. As I said at the beginning, I don't just want us to hear a nice sermon that will maybe make us feel a little bit goosebumply at the times when the band are playing. Don't just want us to hear a nice sermon that sounds nice in theory. What we want to do is take what we're learning, and this isn't preaching to myself as much as anyone else here, and employ this in our everyday. So some homework for you. This week, be poised and positioned for service. As you're going about your ordinary day, look for opportunities to extraordinarily bless. As you're going into work or college or school, look for moments and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, today use me. Don't worry about using me on a platform. Don't worry about using me in the spotlight. Use me, God, in the twilight. Help me develop more into the person and the spirit of Jesus. And I just love this from Rebecca. I'd encourage you to go back and read through that account in full. She didn't know it as she was serving and sweating and breaking her back, but she was opening inch by inch on every trip down into the well and back up again, inch by inch by inch, she was opening up her destiny that God had called her to. I believe as you begin to serve, you will see God bless you more abundantly. Not talking just about Ferraris here, I just want to put that out. This is not a prosperity message. Ephesians 1 tells us that we have every spiritual blessing. We have every spiritual blessing now, but I believe we're not always aware of it. As we conform our spirit into the likeness of Jesus, so I believe we become so much more aware of the spiritual inheritance and the gift that we've got. So let's just pray. I wonder if you're in the building, could you stand with me? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray today as we have learned a little bit about the story of Rebecca and her calling to be the wife of Isaac and uh, eventually, God, the the ancestor of Jesus, I pray that we could just be ignited with a fullness and a heart for service. I pray that when people hear the name of LCF, they will not know any particular singular name, but they will know that LCF takes its mission of Jesus seriously and that they love, they love to serve, they love to give, they love to be generous. I pray for our generous campaign, Father God, that you will continue to develop a a generous spirit within us in all of our team, in all of our staff, in all of our congregants, in all of our, our, our ministry teams, Father God, help us to have a spirit poised towards service. And Lord, as I've 
spoke today, I pray you will open our eyes this week to opportunities to bless. In the twilight as well as the spotlight, Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear where you are moving and calling us to. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.